And thank you once again for being here in worship today as we start a brand new message series. If you took a look at the back of your bulletin, you'll realize that this series is called This Is Us. And this is a message series about us, about human beings. More specifically, this is a message series about human nature and some of the things that we all have in common. And really, the point of this message series is summed up in that little blurb there in your bulletin. You've probably heard the saying that people are basically good. Have you heard this saying? Has anyone expressed this to you in your life? So many of us have heard this. So many people believe this. And here's what we know about this statement. We know that people are capable of good, of great works, of great deeds, of tremendous acts of sacrifice. We know this to be true, that people are incredibly capable of good. In fact, when we see those, those acts of selflessness, when we see those acts of good works and good charity, we are so inspired. It's wonderful to see the good that people are capable of. What's the guy's name, the dude who played Jim on The Office? I don't know his name. He's, he's Jim Halpert. Anyway, he did that thing, the actor. He had that like good news network early on, like the pandemic. Did you see that? It was just all these inspiring stories of all the good that's happening in the world and all the good that people are capable of doing. It's a wonderful wonderful thing. But the question is, is there a difference between being capable of good and being good? Is there a difference between being capable of good and being good in our core? And if there is a difference, how much does that difference matter? And so all throughout this series, throughout these three weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be focused on, answering the question, well, are we basically good? Are we basically good. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, when I was a kid, I went to church because my parents made me, and that's how it works, right? And so I was forced to go. Uh, by the way, anybody's forced to be here today, um, I feel your pain. I've been there. And so they forced me to go, and we had like the Sunday school thing in uh, church. And so uh, from a very young age, I was taught about Jesus. And from a very young age, I was exposed to the central message of Christianity, the core message of Christianity, this thing that we call the good news or the gospel, this message that God loves us so much that He sent His Son into this world to die on the cross for my sins. And if I put my trust in Him, if I trust in what He's done rather than trusting in my own capacity for goodness, then I will receive the gift of eternal life, paradise in heaven. And so as a three-year-old, as a four-year-old, I'm being taught this and I'm thinking, this sounds fantastic. All I have to do is trust in Jesus, accept Him as my Savior, and I go to heaven? That's a done deal. That's a no-brainer. That's a slam dunk. Of course I'm going to do that, right? Of course. I mean, who wouldn't accept Jesus as Savior? All you have to do is say yes, and you get to go to heaven when you die. And then, of course, you grow up, <laughs> and you realize that there are plenty of reasons why people don't automatically say yes to receiving Jesus as their Savior. So here's what I'm going to do, and this might be a little bit weird. <clears throat> I'm going to present you, I feel weird about this, with three reasons why people don't automatically say yes to receiving Jesus as their Savior. So if you're, if you're a note taker, I don't know, you can write this down, I guess. It feels a little weird to me. But here are some reasons why people don't automatically say yes to this deal. They don't sign up right away. Yes, I'll say yes to Jesus as my Savior. Here's why they don't. Okay. First one you know. 
First one's obvious. Reasons why people don't accept Jesus as Savior. It's very simple. They question the validity of the message. They question the validity of the message. You know, for those of you who spent a lot of time in a church setting, especially those of us who grew up going to church, we have just been exposed to this message time and time again that we're almost desensitized to how strange and wonderful it is. Wonderful and strange. You know, it's a lot to process. I mean, you're telling me that there is a God, and you're telling me that this God loves me, and you're telling me this God has a son, and the son came down to the earth, was born a little baby, and grew up and died on the cross, and then he came back from the dead, and if I believe in all that, if I believe in Jesus, then I can go to heaven. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? It's a lot to take in. And so that's the first reason why, and I'm not sure that it's the main reason, in fact, I don't think it is the main reason, but that's, but that's an obvious reason why people don't automatically say, yes, sign me up. They just question the validity of this message. They question the validity of what we call the gospel. And that makes sense to question it. That makes sense. I'm not sure what kind of church stuff you're used to in your past, but here's something about hope. We don't expect you just to, to take something at face value. In fact, we want you to investigate the claims of Christianity. Here at Hope, we believe that logic and reason are your friends. And so if you're somebody that doesn't automatically believe, believe, okay, all this stuff happened and Jesus came down and he died and he raised from the dead, if you don't automatically believe that, that's fine. Look into it. Do your own research. Here's what I'll say about that. I mean, I, I do believe that it's worth looking into. The claims of Christianity are big. I mean, this central belief that Jesus died for our sins, that's big. If we, get to, if we believe in him, we get to go to heaven. That's a big claim. And so, you know, my two cents. I think it's worth looking into. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> Another reason why people don't automatically accept Jesus as their Savior. Here we go. Fairly obvious. It's the fear of change. It's the fear of change. If I sign up for this, if I say yes to this, if I receive Jesus as my Savior, how is this going to change me? How is this going to change my priorities? How is this going to change my values? How is this going to change how I interact with people? How I spend my money? How I spend my time? How is this going to change my love life? How is this going to change me? There's that fear, that concern. If I say yes to this, ah, I'm just afraid it will change me. That, my friends, is a valid fear, is a valid concern, because you will be changed. So let me say this about that, that fear of change. Don't predetermine how that change will manifest itself in your life. Don't predetermine that. I mean, you will change, but I'm not exactly sure what that change will look like for you. Now, there's this phenomenon I've noticed where people, they say yes to Jesus, they receive Christ as Savior, and then they feel the need to just impersonate a Christian. Well, I've got this idea of what a Christian looks like or how a Christian dresses or what a Christian does, and so I've said yes to Jesus. Now I guess I have to impersonate a Christian. No. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a trap that so many Christians fall into. It's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm just kind of following the pattern of what I think I'm supposed to behave like. No, this is not about impersonating a Christian. And so we're going to talk more about this, this change piece in week three of this message, but I'll just say this for now. If you're afraid of the change that will happen in your life, Less, there will be a change, but don't predetermine what that change will look like in your life. Now, I'm going to give you the third reason why people don't automatically jump on this offer and accept Jesus as their Savior. 
And I think that, that perhaps this is the least obvious, but also the biggest reason why. The biggest reason why people don't automatically accept Jesus as Savior. It's because we, as human beings, and I'm speaking in general, big generality, you might be the exception to this, but we, as human beings, we don't view ourselves as needing to be saved. We don't automatically view ourselves as needing to be saved. Maybe you're the exception to that, but maybe you're not. We don't automatically view ourselves as needing to be saved. And if we don't view ourselves as needing to be saved, then we have no use for a Savior. And this goes back to the core idea of this message series. If we believe that we are basically good, if that's the belief that we're carrying around with us, then why, why would we need a Savior? Now, I've tried to put words to this because there's this belief that so many, again, maybe you're the exception to this, but so many people have in their hearts this belief, and they've never spoken it out loud, but there's this belief that so many people have. Maybe not you, but you know people who believe this in their heart of hearts, okay? So I've tried to, to, to put some words to this belief, some words here. So here's a statement. Here's the belief that's prevalent among so many human beings. They believe, if there's a heaven, and I hope that there is, I'm good enough to get in. If there's a heaven, and I hope that there is, I'm good enough to get in. This is the belief that's prevalent in so many human hearts. Maybe you're the exception to that, but you know people who walk around with this belief, and they're not sure what to think about the afterlife, and they've heard some stuff about heaven and hell, and they've heard about how heaven is a wonderful paradise, but they don't know what to think, and they say, well, well if there is a heaven, and I certainly hope that there is, because that sounds great, if there is a heaven, if there is a place people go when they die and it's a good place, I want to go to that good place, and I'm pretty sure I'm good enough to get in, because I look at my life, and no, listen, <laughs> I'm no saint, and I'm not claiming to be perfect, but I look at my life and I compare myself to other people, and I compare myself to people who are overtly evil and rude and nasty. And it's like, I look at them and I'm not like one of them. I mean, I'm basically good. And so if there is a heaven, and I sure do hope that there is, I've got to be good enough to get in. That's, I think, that's the main reason why people don't automatically jump on this offer and receive Jesus as their Savior because they don't view themselves as needing to be saved. Which brings us back to our main question. Are we basically good? Because if we're basically good, we don't need a Savior. But if we're not, then we do. Let's take a look at this passage that Joyce read for us. You know, in fact, before we get there, there's a whole lot of context. <laughs> it's a whole lot in the book of Genesis. A whole lot of context that we need to give. This is the first book of the Bible. And um, we're looking at this story of Adam and Eve, this account of Adam and Eve. And if you have a copy of the Bible with you, you might have a little a subtitle just above chapter 3 that says, The Fall or The Fall of Man. And so this is about how Adam and Eve, how humankind entered into sin. Here's what you need to know about this account of Adam and Eve. There are some Christians, there are some Christians that believe this whole story about Adam and Eve is a folktale. They believe that this is a legend. 
There are some Christian people that believe that this is a folktale and it serves the purpose of teaching us a lesson about what human beings are like and about what God is like. That this is a folktale designed to teach us about ourselves. There are some Christians who believe that. There are other Christians who take this literally, who believe that this is a historic record telling us what actually happened, that there really was a literal Adam and a literal Eve. Now, if you're curious, I'm over here, I'm in this camp, but here's the thing. Whether you're over here or whether you're over here, whether you take this figuratively or whether you take this literally, you walk away from this story having learned the same lessons about humankind. And so today, we're not going to fight over this. We're going to focus on the lesson that we learned from this account, from this story of Adam and Eve. And if you want to fight about that later on, fight about literal versus figurative, we can do that some other time. That sounds like a a lot of fun. I don't know. But for today, (laughs) today we're going to focus on the lessons that we learn from this account. So here's what's happened so far. God's created the heaven and the earth. He's created all the vegetation and all the animals, the land, the sea, the whole shebang. He's created man in his own image. He made Adam. He said, it's not good for this dude to be out there alone. I'm going to make him a companion. He puts Adam to sleep, rips out a rib, makes Eve, okay? So we have Adam and Eve, the first two people. And they lived in paradise. They did not have to work. They did not fight. They did not have to pay taxes. None of it. It was paradise. No fighting, no working, no toiling. It was paradise paradise. And God showed them around the garden and said, I've made all this for you. Take it in. Here it is. It's for you. And so God said to them, you can enjoy all the fruits from all of these trees. Now, from what we understand, Adam and Eve were not meat eaters. And I know that's tough of us, tough for those of us who love a nice steak to think of if that is paradise, right? I, I don't know how it works. Maybe filet grew on trees. I don't know how it worked back then, all right? I can dream. Anyway, But God said, all of this is yours. Enjoy it. I've made it for you to enjoy. I only have one rule. Just the one. Just the one. Not a list of Ten Commandments. No, not yet. Not a list of 600 and some laws. Nope, not yet. Just one rule. You see that tree there? Don't eat from that fruit or you will die. And so Adam and Eve, they lived in paradise for how long? We don't know. Was it a few days? Was it a few years? Was it thousands of years? We don't know. And then one day, Eve decides to approach that tree. Another thing you need to know about this passage. Again, this is referred to as the fall of of humankind or the fall of man. And there is debate over what exactly was that first sin, When did that enter into Adam and Eve? When did that actually happen? And some people say just Eve allowing herself to get close to the tree was that first hint of sin. But but isn't that that human nature? (laughs) If you're given a boundary, if you're given a line, you can do anything you want. Just don't cross this line. We get so close to that. I'm not, see, I'm not crossing it yet, right? Any parents of little ones in here? See, I'm not, technically, I'm not doing it yet. And so whatever the case was, Eve allows herself to approach the tree, and that's when the serpent, the snake, speaks to her. Now, who is this snake? Who is this serpent? Some people believe that this is a personification of evil. Some people believe that this is a messenger of Satan himself. Some people believe that it straight up is Satan. 
I believe it is Satan. I think I can make a case for that based on what we see in Scripture, that Satan is often referred to as that lying snake, that lying serpent. So anyway, there's Satan engaging Eve in conversation. And what does he say? Verse, uh, where is this? Verse, verse uh, well, let's just start at the beginning, shall we? Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And he's just baiting even to a conversation. He needs to set her up for what you know, she's about to ask or what she's about to say. The woman said to the serpent, uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So let me just clarify, you know, snake, talking snake, you have said that, you know, we can't eat from any of the fruit. No, God said we can eat all of it except, except fruit from that tree. And then Satan, the snake, says, oh, see, that's not how it is. You've been misinformed. God told you if you eat this, you will die. But the, seas, the thing is, God is holding out on you. If you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened. You'll understand things that only God knows. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Ooh, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? To be like God. I don't know what you've heard about this story. I don't know what kind of you know, tales you've heard about Adam and Eve. But this, this idea that, that she just saw this fruit and it looked tasty and she ate it. No, 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 no. She wanted to be like God, and so she took the fruit. Was there something supernatural that happened when she bit into it? Was the decision to reach out, was that when sin entered into her life? All we know is that after this happened, her eyes were opened. And when Adam ate, same thing, his eyes were opened, and they lost their innocence. Parents, do you know what that's like when you watch your children grow up and they just have a kind of a, and I don't mean this negatively, but like a naive worldview and then you watch as they grow and they lose that innocence. And so they lost their innocence. They disobeyed. They had sinned. And why? Because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be like God. This is us. Who doesn't want to be God? Okay, maybe you don't want to be the God, right? And like have all the burdens of God and all the responsibilities of God. But don't you want to be the God over your own life? The boss over your own decisions? Isn't that common to the human experience? Isn't that what we want? I mean, nobody, I, I can listen to what they have to say, but I don't want anybody to tell me what to do with my life or how to live my life or how to handle my life or how to handle my relationships or how to handle my finance, how to manage my time or what I should pursue. I'm the boss of my life. Isn't that what we all want? To be little gods over our own lives, I want to do this my way. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. I promised Holly I wasn't going to sing anymore in these sermons, so I just broke that promise. Sorry about that, hon. The Frank Sinatra approach, I want to do it my way, my way. My, that's, that's how we are. I mean, I, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but I'm tempted. Raise your hand if you like being corrected and told what to do. Oh, I love that. No one. No one. We all want to be like God in some regard. We want final say over how we live our lives. 
which is only problematic if we're not basically good. Now, here's where, here's where the Christians want to object. I can see it in your faces. Here's where the Christians want to object. Hey, preacher, yeah, maybe other people want to be their own gods, but we Christians, we let God be God. We let God tell us how to live. We let God set our boundaries for us. Those other people out there, they're trying to be their own little gods, but we defer to the one true living God. Do we? I don't know. I spend a lot of time around Christians. And I would agree that that's how we should live. That's how we should live. That we Christians should defer to God when it comes to everything. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we interact with one another, how we treat one another, how we handle conflict, how we manage conflict, how we take care of the poor, how we take care of the suffering, everything. We should defer to God when it comes to everything. But how many of us Christians actually do that? It's why you see Christians on every side of every argument, every side of every debate, because we don't automatically defer to God. Yes, it's what we should do, but it doesn't come naturally to us. It's not in our nature. Here's the funny thing about this. We are, as human beings, we are open to outside help. We are, in some cases, in some arenas of life, open to receive counsel or advice from somebody else. Um, I'll give you some examples. Some of you might have a financial planner or a financial advisor, and you want to be wise with your money, and you know um, a little bit about money, you know a little bit about investing, but you really rely on the counsel of somebody else to direct you in how to use your money, right? And that's just wise. If you can find somebody you trust, right? <laughs> that's the big condition. If you find somebody you trust, that's just wise. Or how about this? How about when you have a problem with your car, all right? Now, maybe some of you have to know how to fix your car, but most of us, I can tell you what I do, I go to the mechanic, and I've been going to the same mechanic for, for as long as I've been driving, just about, because I trust him. He's a good mechanic. And I'm like, you know what? You're the expert here. I'm going to defer to what you say because you are the expert. So we know that we are capable of doing this, of deferring to someone else, of letting someone else make some decisions for us in some regards. Now consider God. Consider God. The God of the Bible, here's what's up. The God of the Bible knows everything about everything, okay? Right? Yeah, he knows how to fix your car. He knows how you should manage your money. But beyond that, he knows everything about everything. He is the expert of all experts. Not only that, the God of the Bible has positioned himself as our Father, and he loves us. He actually wants what's best for us. He knows everything. He wants what's best for us. Doesn't it? Listen, if, if this God of the Bible really does exist, and I believe that he does, doesn't it just make sense to defer to God when it comes to everything, 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 to let him be the boss of our lives? It just makes sense. But it doesn't come naturally, does it? It doesn't come naturally to any of us to defer to God's wisdom in every arena of life. It doesn't come naturally to step back and let God be the boss over how we live. It doesn't come naturally to let God dictate how we treat one another and what we pursue and how we manage our time and how we manage our relationships. 
And it's far from easy for us to first seek out and discover God's boundaries and then willfully place ourselves within those boundaries. And it's not easy to willfully give up our desire to be like God and to let God be the boss over our lives. None of this is easy. None of this is easy. And none of this comes naturally. But allowing God to be the boss over our lives, it makes perfect sense. It isn't easy, but it makes perfect sense. Allowing the God of the Bible who knows everything, who knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us to be the boss of our lives, it just makes sense. And so here's what I want to say to you. If you are open, if you are open to the possibility of allowing the God of the Bible to be your God and to be the boss over your life, then I want to encourage you to keep seeking after Him. Keep showing up here on Sunday mornings. Keep looking for answers. Keep getting to know Him. Show up. We're here. We're here every Sunday at 10.30. Show up on Sundays. Keep discovering what this God is like. I just ask that you give us as a church the opportunity to better acquaint you with our God, to show you His love, to show you His boundaries, to show you the wisdom of living within His boundaries, all in the hope that one day our God will be your God and that you will prosper and thrive living out your life within His perfect boundaries. Let's pray. Father, you are God and we are not. You always know best and we do not. God, you know our nature. You know that we want to be little gods. We want to be the boss over our own lives. And so, Father, we would just help us, ask that you help us see the wisdom of, of deferring to you. God, help us understand that you actually do love us, that you are invested in us. Help us to understand your boundaries and give us the courage and the humility to place ourselves within those boundaries. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.